This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in once again. The Golden Edge Podcast. Everything you need to know about the Golden Knights. And it was a crazy, crazy week. Adam Hill here. Dave Shane is in Brooklyn, New York, as the Golden Knights are about to set uh, set adrift on another road trip, uh, a long East Coast day, really a long trip, but not a whole lot of travel as they will pretty much just stay in New York for the next few days, three games there, and then off to Columbus before returning home as a lot of their road games continue to add up here in the first half of the year. Uh, But let's get into a crazy week that was as we are here. I am here in the luxurious Golden Edge Podcast Studios here in Las Vegas. Dave, as I said, back in New York. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast each and every week through all your local channels, your usual places to find the podcast. Tell all your friends as well. We are continuing to grow, and we thank you guys for that. But Dave, you are in New York, as I said. How are you doing, sir? Good, good. I'm curious. Are we still number seven? Did we move up? Well, I, you know what? I didn't give a rating this week or a ranking where we were because I forgot to look it up. Um, sure. And that is, when I say that, I mean look it up in my imaginary rankings that we have. Uh, but yeah, I think I think seven is probably about where we still are. But I, you know, I'd yeah, like to okay. see that grow. Yeah. The more you are on, I think the more it helps. Uh, everybody there loves everybody loves when you are on, uh, for sure. We might we might get Ben back next week. I'm sure some people. Maybe are excited about that. I am. I, I like Ben, and he brings a different energy uh, to, to to what we do because, you know, me and you are often very negative. But it might be tough to be too negative this week, Dave. Uh, this is this has been a pretty good week for the Golden Knights. They had three home games in a, in a one road game kind of mixed in, and they won all of their home games. Got to be feeling pretty good about themselves as they embark on this trip. Yeah, definitely. I think uh... – the game in L.A., obviously, you were there and, and maybe have a little more perspective than me, but I thought it was just kind of one of those clunkers, one of those – it's almost like a schedule loss, I think, maybe in a way. You know, first game back-to-back, you're playing at 1 o'clock. You know, just, just kind of weird scenario, and the, the Kings had just got called out by Dowdy, and obviously it responded and, and all that. But I think, you know, for me, the important thing was the way the Knights played on Sunday, the way they bounced back against Dallas. I didn't think it was – that great of a first period, but they got out of it 1-1, and I thought they really kind of, you know, turned it up a notch, I guess, in the, in the second period. I know I asked uh, one or two of the players about that, and, you know, they, they kind of agreed. I I think more than anything, you feel good going into this road trip off of that Dallas game. Uh, now you're, you know, like you said, you're facing the Islanders, the Devils, the Rangers. Obviously, the Devils have struggled a little bit. Uh, you know, winnable games here on the road, and, and like you said, uh, you know, more than anything, I think even, you know, not just last week, but but even when we talked the week before, it just feels like they found their identity a little bit. They, they kind of figured out, you know, the keys to their game, what they have to do to, to be successful.
successful, and, and I think we're starting to see, you know, an accumulation of, of all those things. So obviously throw the L.A. game out. But, yeah, I mean, really, I think uh, if you're a Golden Knights fan, you got to feel pretty good about where they're at right now. There's the weird games, as you mentioned, the L.A. The L.A. game was just a debacle. I mean, I, I think they uh, came out flat. There was no energy. And I, I tweeted right before the game, you know, there is zero energy in the building. Like it's it's going to be interesting to see how the teams react to that, and the Kings, I think, generated their own own energy based on, as you mentioned, it was a an emotional week for them with Dowdy calling them out and ripping them, you know, his teammates in the way that he did, and I think that they kind of generated their own, you know, kind of enthusiasm and energy off of that, and the Golden Knights were never really able to find it. They just played one of those games that's going to happen, uh, but there hasn't been a whole lot of those. It's been a more consistent effort going forward. Uh, for this team, and and I think a lot of that was, you know, it might have been coincidental, but I think it was, you know, a big part of Nate Schmidt coming back is that they have had much, they have had more consistent good efforts, um, and the the poor ones have been fewer and far be more, I guess fewer and more far between. I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but yeah. uh, you know what I'm saying there. I I I want to give Nate Schmidt credit for a lot of it, but I don't know if if he just kind of got there at the right time, too. Yeah, maybe a little bit of that. I think this is the thing I think about, you know, Nate coming back is I don't know that it has, like, a direct effect. And what I mean by that is I don't think, you know, obviously he's not the one out there creating a whole bunch of chances every game. I, you know, he's not scoring, you know, at a point-per-game pace or something like that and running the power play and, I don't think you see like a tangible difference. It's not something you can really kind of quantify with numbers with him. But I think the biggest thing is it just kind of trickled down. It put everybody in the right spot. It put everybody in a more comfortable position. They can use him and McNabb as kind of that shutdown role. They can still use Theodore in, in England, you know, against the second line and, and match him up against the first line if they have to. But they've also got uh, Miller and Holden kind of back in that third pair, back in that, you know, comfort zone, I think, especially for, for Colin Miller. They're still getting, you know, 17, 18 minutes a game. It's not like they're rolling just four defensemen and, and kind of riding those top four. They're back to the way that they were a little bit um, defensively, rolling all six and everybody getting ice time, everybody getting into a rhythm, and, and everybody kind of kind of finding their role, you know, matching up against the lines that they're, they're comfortable against. I, you know, I'm – I'm actually, I'll say this publicly, I think I'm in the minority on how Colin Miller played in the first 20 or so games. I actually don't think he played all that well, to be quite honest. I don't think it was a great pairing with him and McNabb. Um, to get a little deeper into it, and I, I actually want to see this next year, is I think Colin Miller actually needs to skate with somebody like Shea Fiedel or like Nate Schmidt. He needs a puck mover with him and he needs to be more of kind of the stay-at-home guy and I think there's a misconception that Colin Miller is kind of this puck rushing offensive defenseman obviously he led the defenseman scoring last year but he gets his offense in different ways and, and I really think now that he's back with Holden and, and even that partnership I don't think is you know I thought they had some chemistry early on and, and it feels like they, they've maybe you know we're still working on that a little bit uh, but I just think it's a more comfortable spot for him. I think he's more uh, more comfortable kind of playing against, you know, second and third lines, not having to be a shutdown guy and, and all of the things that kind of come with that. So I know I gave a long answer, but but I think Nate, I, I don't think it's coincidence that they, they're playing better when Nate came back. 
but I think it has to do with just slotting everybody into the right spot on the blue line, and that that's where I think the biggest effect maybe has had. Not a long answer, Dave. It's our podcast. You can you you're supposed to talk for, for a long time. <laughs> it's good. It's a uh, it's what people want to hear, and I think that's that's a you know a fascinating point that, that I haven't heard from a lot of people. So uh, very interesting stuff on uh, you know on on Colin Miller and where he stands defensively and the impact that Nate's return has had on the whole defensive unit. And they might start to get other people back. Paul Stastny appears pretty close. You know. I was, you know, you're kind of getting the signs a little bit. He was skating, and then now uh, that you're on this trip, it seems it certainly seems like Paul Stastny is very, very close to a return. Yeah, yeah, absolutely very close. He was uh, cleared today at practice, uh, full participant, was not wearing the baby blue or any kind of non-contact or anything like that. So obviously that's, you know, the first major step toward, uh, toward him coming back. He was taking line rushes actually on the third line with uh, Nosek and Carpenter and Lindbergh. Uh, so that's maybe a little interesting and maybe a little clue as to where he'll play when he comes back. I think as far as when he does come back, it's a little bit gray area. I, I, I you know, the, the, the Knights do a pretty good job of, of uh, hiding things, <clears throat> not outing themselves, I guess, when yeah. it comes to injuries and, and things like that. So, so Stasny was pretty coy. Uh, as far as whether he'll play tomorrow uh, against the Islanders. And Gallant, kind of similar. He, he made a reference to, you know, we'll probably see him at some point on the trip. Um, so as far as whether he plays against the Islanders, I think it's still a little bit of, of a mystery. We'll find out more probably tomorrow with the morning skate and things like that. But either way, I would expect him, if he doesn't play against the Islanders, almost maybe certainly against the Devils. And, and if for some reason he doesn't play then, you know, I, I would have a hard time believing he wouldn't play against the Rangers uh, on Sunday. He, he's close, and and they want him back, obviously. You know, he was a big signing. He brings a lot uh, to the team, you know, his ability to kind of be a two-way player, uh, win face-offs, things like that. I actually think it's going to uh, gonna add some depth to, to their overall team if he's on that third line. It, it maybe strengthens you know, a line where you and I have actually talked about this a lot, that they haven't got a lot out of. And all of a sudden you put Stasny in the middle with, with maybe Lindbergh or Nosek. You know, he can he can take the face off. He can play kind of a defensive role if he has to. But he's certainly going to add a little offense. And, and maybe that that's, you know, not to say, like we said, they're, they're playing pretty well. But, you know, maybe that's an even bigger boost for them at this point if, if he's on their third line and, uh, you know, adding, adding what he brings to that spot. Yeah, and, and you know that was one of the questions from the uh, from our mailbag last week. And by the way, if you're listening to this, feel free to shoot us any questions on Twitter, or email, anywhere else, and we'll try to get them answered either here on the podcast or with our uh, our mailbag each week. But one of the questions was, you know, where would Paul Stastny be when he returns? They signed him to be that second line center. Does he go back in there? And I think for for several reasons, he doesn't. I, I mean, one being the fact that the second line has been really, really good. It can be argued that at times, and certainly for stretches, they've been better than the first line. I don't think you can break that up, and I, I just don't see a reason to at this point. Um, just because you had offseason plans or something doesn't mean you have to go in that direction. And I just think the third line needs a boost anyway. Now, you could get you could have the third line get a boost by getting you know Cody Eakin to drop down and play on that third line, and then he contributes there. But you know why take that chance of breaking up the second line? You just stick Stastny back on the third line and hope that you bolster that enough uh, to help them become more productive because that really has been, to me, 
uh, one of the biggest issues with the team of just when the third line is out there, it's you know if you get any kind of contribution, it's almost a miracle at this point. Yeah, I don't think I think the second line right now is untouchable. Um, the way that they're playing, the way that Eakins, you know, contributed, he seems like a guy. He's more comfortable almost in that top six role than he was on on that third line role. I, you know, maybe that's a little presumptuous on my part. Um, but really, I, I just I, there's no way you can mess with with that line the way that they're playing right now. I think you know more than anything is is down the road and and I think maybe it was Patch Ready. Uh, in his first press conference after he got traded, who kind of made a reference to this, is it's nice to know that if you need the chemistry between Pacioretty and Stasny, that it's there. And you don't automatically have to put them back together, but that down the road, a month from now, two months from now, whatever it might be, if maybe things get a little stagnant on the second line, you have that built-in chemistry and automatically... Stastny can go up there. He's played with Pacioretty. They have their, you know, their chemistry, and obviously Tuck has played well. I think he would fit in, you know, very quickly with them. It's kind of the ace in the hole, I guess, a little bit for Gallant, that he can stick with what's working right now, and then if he feels like he needs to change something up, boom, that's a, you know, that's the first thing you do, and, and you know that they've skated together. You know they have a history, and you'd probably feel good about plugging them right in, not needing, you know, morning skates and practices and things like that to develop chemistry. So, you know, long term, I think I think it probably helps Gerard Gallant in, in terms of what he can do, in terms of the flexibility with the lineup and all those things, especially if, if Stasny is starting on, on that third line. What's interesting, I guess, I'll be positive about this, is if that clicks on the third line and then you've got the second line still playing well, you know, now you've got to feel like you're a team that that's probably, you know, division contender right there with Calgary, and and you probably feel real good about, you know, going into January and February and in the thick of things in March, uh, you know, trying to compete for the Western Conference and seeds and all those sorts of things uh, toward the playoffs. Yeah, I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep that uh, in mind for one second and hold off on following up on that uh, because I do want to talk about the division. Uh, in a second, but just the last thing on this topic, Reed Duke came up momentarily. Uh, he was up for a few games, didn't play, uh, and now he's back. And you know, there's no corresponding roster move, which tells me that that is okay. Well, Stastny will just be coming up and filling that spot. But you know, Reed Duke was here for a few days and didn't really uh, get a chance to show anything. Uh, what do you think that they expect out of Reed Duke, perhaps in the future? Or is he just a piece? Yeah, it's, excuse me, it's a little hard to tell. You know, somebody had asked me about why they brought him up and sent him down and didn't play him and all those sorts of things. And, you know, I told him, I, I this is probably speculation on my, my part, and I would have to really look at this um, closer, and, and, and I might be saying something in complete error. Um, but when Carr is up, I'm not positive if he would have had to go back through waivers um, if he gets sent down. I think... Redu coming up, obviously being waiver exempt, that when Paul Stasny um, comes back, that he wouldn't have to go through waivers and and things like that. I don't know how much that played into it. I don't know how much of it was he's that Redu has played well in Chicago and he deserved the call up. Yeah. Um, my understanding, you know, is is he's probably more of a bottom six forward. Um, when they made the move, somebody asked me why they didn't bring up, you know, like Peary 
uh, Brooks Masick, guys who are doing, you know, really well offensively in the minor leagues. And, and my answer at that point was they need a bottom six guy. They don't need a score. Those, you know, Peary, Masick, those are not guys that you can plug in on your bottom six and kind of play that role, that, that checking, I guess, forward type, type role. That's not what those guys do. So I think that's where they see Reed Duke. I think they see him as, you know, maybe a third line, uh, maybe a fourth line center. And, and I say that as a compliment. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, he's a guy, you know, one of the thing that really jumped out, and, and I'd seen it before, but you really see it when he's on the ice with other NHL guys. But he's a really good skater. So obviously the speed is there. He, you know, he was keeping up, and you didn't notice anything as far as him you know, struggling skating-wise or something like that. There there has been one or two guys that, and I won't name names, that I've seen that you've seen in practice, and you just kind of go, ooh, uh, he's just not <laughs> not a strong skater. Maybe that's why he's been in the AHL and, and things like that. You didn't see that with Three Duke. He's got a lot of speed and, and, and things like that. I think, you know, it's probably more about development. He was a guy, you know, you, you come from juniors and you're a scorer and things like that. You're used to playing in a top-six role. And all of a sudden, if you see him as something different, you have to, you know, put that into to your development plan with him. I'm sure there's an element of him learning, you know, kind of what it takes to be a third-line center, a fourth-line center, you know, face-offs, defensive responsibilities, and, and all those sorts of things. But I think if nothing else, you know, down the road, if and when he gets called up again, you know, just getting a taste of it, just kind of being around it for a few days, seeing, you know, the pace and practice, kind of what it takes, you know, hearing a few voices in the locker room, maybe, uh, you know, a tip here, some advice there, things like that. It'll only benefit him down the road. Uh, you know, and maybe we'll see him later on this year. Maybe we'll see him next year. I don't I don't know. Obviously, there's, you know, UFAs and contract stuff down the road in the summer that, you know, once we get to that, we'll kind of see how it all shakes out. Um, but, you know, if nothing else, I think it was a good, a good taste, a good cup of coffee for him just to kind of get a feel you know, for what the NHL is like. Yeah, for sure. So what the NHL is like right now in the Pacific Division is improving. I mean, I think for so much of the year we talked about, well, the Knights have struggled. They've, they haven't they have found consistency. It's been tough for them to stack up wins and, and build up points in any stretch. But at least the division isn't going anywhere. Nobody's running away with it. Uh, nobody's playing particularly well. That has kind of changed. And the Knights have been on a good roll They've been building up points and have been, you know, much more successful in doing that. But at the same time, you look around, the division has gotten a lot better, or at least they're playing better right now. Uh, so, it, it, you know, I don't know how sustainable this is. I don't know if it's, hey, they hit a point in the schedule where it was maybe just a little bit more favorable. Uh, but certainly there's a little bit more of a sense of urgency now that the rest of the division is playing so much better and, and stacking up some points around them. Yeah, I mean, obviously Calgary's playing well. Uh, Anaheim is playing well. It'll, it'll be interesting to see if Anaheim can kind of sustain it. They've had a little spurt here lately, and then obviously with uh, Ryan Miller getting hurt, and they had to go pick up Chad Johnson off of waivers. That you know, clearly they've got John Gibson, and you know, goaltending I don't think is the issue in uh, in Anaheim. But we'll see if they kind of slow down a little bit. I still think when all is said and done, you know, Calgary and San Jose are the teams that. Uh, that the Knights are kind of going to be fighting it out with uh, for the most part in the division. The one team that I think to keep an eye on is Edmonton, uh, especially now that they seem like they've figured out their goaltender a little bit. Um, 
obviously anytime you've got Connor McTavid, who at least in my opinion is the best player in the league, uh, you're going to be dangerous. I, I still think maybe they've got some issues as far as depth on a second line, but with Ken Hitchcock there, they seem like they've kind of got things on track. They seem like they've, they've rallied around his system a little bit. So one, two, three, four, you know, four teams I think are going to be, uh, you know, kind of fighting it out here in the Pacific uh, for the most part. I mean, clearly it's not, it's not as good of a division as the Central. I mean, Nashville, Colorado, Winnipeg, you know, you've got Dallas, Minnesota, uh, all those teams are, you know, I mean, that's a slugfest in that, in that division. But, you know, I mean, if nothing else, I think the Knights got to feel good about, about the Pacific, though, if nothing else, because of the way that they play against the Pacific. They dominated last year. They've dominated for the most part this year. When they went on their run, that was, you know, playing Pacific Division teams and gaining ground on kind of those four-point games that we talk about. So I, I do think it's improved. But, you know, you look around the league, and I, I definitely don't think it's the uh, the strongest division of yeah. the four, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Well, you mentioned goaltending there as well, so that's a nice, easy transition into something we've talked a lot about, but it bears repeating now based on how the schedule has played out the last few days. Uh, do they just plan on playing Marc-Andre Fleury every single game the rest of the year? This is, you know, it's getting to a crazy level of how much he is playing, how Hesitant they have been to put Subban in the game. It's now two back-to-backs in a row uh, where Flurry played both ends. And at some point, like, yes, Flurry's he's holding up well. He's handling it well. Uh, but he is mid-30s. There, He's on pace to play the most games of his career. And I think at the same time, it's not only how much wear and tear you're putting on Flurry because I think that's huge. Like, this is a team that has plans to be in the playoffs and to try to make another long run. At some point, you don't want your goalie wearing down. That has to be part of the consideration. And the other part of the consideration has to be, like, Subban's last game was a disaster. And I don't think it was Subban's fault. I think, you know, there was so many just ridiculously good chances uh, that were allowed by the Knights against him. But you, you're you sending him the message in these spots that are absolutely, like, tailor-made for him to play. You know, back-to-back, that's part of three games in four days. He doesn't get in there. Like, at some point, you're sending the message, like, you don't trust him at all. Yeah, I thought, uh, you know, it's weird because in a lot of ways, I, I understand where Gerard Gallant and, and Dave Fire also, um, and even Marc-Andre Fleury are, are kind of coming from on this. Situationally, you know, you kind of look at that back-to-back, and you're like, okay, you know, it's a big game in L.A., it's easy travel, and then they've got, Monday to travel, they, you know, kind of light. I mean, it was a practice day. It was a full practice. Um, so I don't want to say it was a light skate. Um, that's not fair. But, it's, you know, I mean, basically he's got yesterday, today, you know, early tomorrow to kind of rest. So I can kind of see their perspective on it, that you look at it and go, oh, well, it's not that hard of a back-to-back. And, and you know, like Jargon said, they're not in first place like they were last year. They've got to gain ground. They've got to get points and and you know, move up in the standings and all those sorts of things. And obviously, you know, in that situation, you're going to probably go with your number one. But I think it's pretty telling, um, especially that Dallas game. You know, the, the other back-to-backs here, you know, okay, there, there's that San Jose-Calgary one um, after Thanksgiving, and I, I, I guess I kind of get it. Um, but the Dallas game especially seems really tailor-made, uh, like you said, for Subban. I mean, you're at home, obviously you're rested, Dallas is playing well, but, you know, it's not, you know, you're not exactly facing 
Toronto or Tampa Bay or somebody that's just, you know, going to come in and potentially light him up again. But I do wonder about the effects from that Calgary game. And I know it was a game that, you know, the second game was back-to-back. They didn't feel like they could put somebody in. You know, they're a little handcuffed and had to, had to leave Subban in there to, to kind of take that walloping. And I know at the time I wondered about, you know, his confidence and whether they were ruining it or anything like that. And, I mean, I think it's a valid question at this point. Um, you know, going forward, he's 0-4. He's got a goal against over 4 I mean, I know some of those goals, like you said, he got hung out to dry a little bit, but I also think there's been some, you know, some, some plays, some shots, you know, whatever you want to say, that, that maybe he could have made a save. Maybe he could have made a stop. And certainly, you know, you can't really fault him on some of them, but you also kind of, you know, maybe say, man, if you know, if he could just, you know, make a huge save, you know, steal a save, you know, steal one for us, maybe it changes some things. And I haven't seen see them be able to do that this year i mean it's you know what i think flurry's on pace for like 72 games yeah. or something like that i think his career high is 67 i mean you look around the league and a lot of guys a lot of number ones will play you know in the mid 60s as far as games so i don't think if they get 65 66 games or anything like that with him it's it's out of the ordinary it happens all the time but like you said you're talking about a 34 year old goalie and if nothing else you know, they had they had an inkling or, or thoughts or whatever, especially last year, that Malcolm Subban might be the heir apparent, might eventually turn into a number one goalie. And if you've got doubts about that all of a sudden, you see around the league, you know, guys like Chad Johnson getting picked up on waivers and, you know, other guys kind of bouncing around. I mean, even Calvin Pickard, I think, is, has been on like two or three teams this <laughs> year. Um, since the start of the year, since he was put on waivers by uh, – by Toronto. So obviously, you know, other teams are, are looking for backup goalies. It's a spot where you need, you know, you need to be able to rely rely on somebody. Last year, one of the keys was, you know, the way that those backup goalies played. It kind of kept them afloat when uh, when Flurry was out, and then the way that Subban played, you know, when he got his chance. I think it was like 47 points last year that they got from goaltenders that were not Mark Andre Flurry, and this year they have zero points from goaltenders that aren't Marc-Andre Fleury. He's the only one, along with New Jersey's Keith Kincaid, who have all of their teams wins. So, yeah, you want to go with the guy that, that can get you two points, but I also do think that's probably the you know, the major issue, at least off the ice kind of front office stuff that, that seems to be brewing, is, is whether there's a, you know, an issue with the backup goalie and whether there's, you know, an interest, I guess, to, uh, to move on from him. I don't get the sense that there is, but the fact that they're not playing him, the fact that, like you said, it just don't seem to trust him right now, that's concerning. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you said you know there might be lingering confidence issues in the Calgary game that they're concerned about. Well, they're, they're not going to get better by not playing him in the situations where he's expected to play. I mean, I think most of the world that follows the Golden Knights expected him to absolutely play one of those two games, either Saturday or Sunday. I'm sure he did on some level. And when you don't put him in there, if there is confidence issues, that's not going to help. It doesn't help somebody to not play them if they're if there's concern about their uh, their confidence level. And you know, if if like like you said, there's no indication that they moved on from him. In fact, last year he was thirteen and four, and as you said, he looked at it like a guy that you know he's a former first round pick could could essentially be uh, the guy that takes over for Flurry at some point when he 
uh, retires if we keep him around. But like this, this is not a good stretch uh, for that. You know, for that thought. Um, it it just it's it seems you know a, a little bit um, you know disconcerting to me the the lack of trust that they seem to have right now uh, in Malcolm Subban. So uh, we'll see when. You know, when he does play, if he does play again at some point, I have to imagine Flurry needs to rest eventually. I know he he chimes in with uh with Pryor and with Galan about how he's feeling. I know the other night, uh after uh game, I think it was the Chicago game, uh he was playing with his wrist the entire post game uh news conference and looked like there was, you know, just you know, some soreness there and not a huge concern because he, he played two games after that, but those things start to add up. And you know, as you said, mid sixties is kind of a lot of games for uh, for a goalie. He's it's it'd be high sixties is the most he's played, and you're on track to play seventy two at this point. Uh, but we'll, yeah, we'll I'm, see. I'm kind of peeking at this. I'm peeking at the schedule here. Sorry to cut you off. So they have back to back this weekend, uh, Sunday, Monday, Rangers, and then at Columbus, they've got a back to back at the end of next week, the twenty second at home against Montreal. And then the 23rd home against the Kings, and then they've got a road back-to-back at LA, at Arizona. But the interesting thing is, the first game of the back-to-back in all three of those situations is an early game. So the Rangers is 9:30 a.m. Pacific, so 12:30 out here. Uh, then you've got Saturday the 22nd when they play Montreal is a 1 p.m. start. And then the 29th at LA, also a 1 p.m. start. So the only reason I bring this up is because based on what they said last weekend, that that was what they call an easy back-to-back, you know, no travel, you had a day game to start, and then a night game and all those sorts of things, very similar situation. And if Flurry is playing all of the – I mean, there's no way you can play all of those. I mean, at least two of the three, you would think she does have to play. You think so? So to me, if – you would think, yeah. And if he's not, if he doesn't play at least two of those, you know, then to me you've got, you know, alarm bells going off and, and something's just not right at that point. All right, so the final thing to get into here on the Golden Edge podcast is the big story of the week. It seemed like it seems like forever ago at this point, but Ryan Reeves with the big hit on Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson's helmet flies off, hits his head on the ice, and the entire world, the hockey world, is talking about the hit and uh, what went on. Golden Knights fans thrilled. Many other NHL fans thrilled that Tom Wilson is injured, uh, but you know certainly a big uh, you know a big penalty uh, that happened in the game, and then the wait to see if there was any discipline from the NHL. It didn't happen. Uh, first, before the fallout that came afterwards, uh, the hit was you know I thought very worthy of a penalty and probably not worthy of a suspension, which is exactly what happened. Uh, is that how you kind of felt about it too? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you know it's a it's a dicey uh, it's a dicey topic. Um, I don't I don't know that I totally agree with Gerard Gallant in terms of what he said about it not being late. I felt like it was a little bit late. Yeah, um, that would be my issue with it because I think the one thing about the hit, and you know what, I'll, I'll actually I'll, I'll use this as a chance to uh, to pump Ryan Reeves' tires a little bit here. You know, Ryan Reeves is, is obviously a very physical guy. Um, 
clearly not afraid to uh, answer the bell if he has to. He's known around the league for, you know, for his toughness and things like that. But Ryan Reese plays very clean. I think I went back and looked this up. He's had one suspension in his entire career. It was for boarding like two or three years ago. As, as rough and tumble as he plays, he plays the right way. He plays cleanly. So as far as the contact, as far as the hit, I think it's important to note, like you said, it was the helmet flying off, and it was the impact from him hitting the ice that really, I think, did most of the damage as far as, you know, head concussion and, and all those things that have kept uh, Tom Wilson out for the last week. But I think more than anything, and this is maybe where I fall on it, is even though, you know, you can argue whether it was head contact or whatever, I, I just I think it was late. And, and I have the same problem, I guess, with Ryan Reeves' hit there as I did with Tom Wilson's hit, you know, a few days prior to that on Brett Senny from New Jersey. It, it was just late in, in I don't want to say unnecessary, but it just felt like those are the types of hits that maybe the NHL, you know, is trying to regulate. All that being said, he didn't hit him in the head. You know, it was clean contact. It was shoulder to shoulder, and I don't think there's, anybody that can you know dispute that video shows that very clearly so you know I, I go back and forth on it a little bit I think ultimately I'm with you I think call the interference given the game misconduct that, that was actually part of the rule that that was just rest or tied as soon as there's a head injury involved with a five-minute major you automatically get a game misconduct so you know that's just kind of the way it went and to be quite honest, yeah, I think I think it was probably handled, um, probably handled best the way that they handled it. I, I don't think you can, you know, suspend somebody for that, but I do think, and I would hope, uh, that maybe some guys around the league saw it and, and maybe realized, you know, those are the types of hits, even if it's not to the head that they're trying to regulate out of the game. Let's hear a little bit from Ryan Reeves about uh, what he thought of the, of the play and uh, – and the fallout from you know from people kind of upset about the hit, uh, and just his kind of general feelings on what went on on the play. You know, I think I, I think I do a good job of, of knowing what a clean hit is. Not. You know, I, um, you know, I, I haven't. I think I've only taken two minors all year, and I don't think any have been for for hitting infractions. So, no, I mean, I'm not going out there look, looking to you know get vengeance on you know for other teams now, but um, you know he's. He's a physical guy that, um, you know, obviously there was a matchup that, that Turk wanted and, um, you know, I wanted to win the physical matchup. That was, that was the game plan going in. Um, you know, I don't want him running around and doing that to my guys, so I, I thought I would be the initiator. All right, so that was Ryan Reeves talking about the hit and everything else. Now, I'll say the one thing Washington, Washington was most upset, I think, about in talking to them after the game. I was in their locker room. Uh, about the fact that Reeves seemed to just be going after Wilson the whole game. Uh, I I think that's accurate. I think he was going after him the whole game. We talked about it. We discussed it. We were watching him out there. Uh, he was talking to him the whole time. He was screaming at him the whole time, kind of challenging him. He was going after him. Now, I don't want to use the word targeting because it has such a negative connotation in sports, but he definitely was going after Wilson, and I think that was his job uh, to go out there. And you know what Wilson does is intimidate some of your players and – you know, force him into bad, bad uh, decisions and other things, and protects his own guys that are on, you know, that that lethal top line for Washington. And 
you know, the Knights did not want that to happen. And I think Gerard Gallant sent the message by putting Reeves out there to start the game. That was his job that night, and he did his job well. Yeah, 100% agree. I mean, Reeves said it. Gerard Gallant said it. Uh, Belmer and Carrier said it. And that was their job that game. They were matched up against that top line. It's not something that Gerard Gallant normally does. But he decided that game he wanted that physical line out there, you know, bumping and grinding and, and knocking Ovechkin around, knocking Wilson around, uh, knocking Backstrom around. I mean, you saw even, you know, there was a hit to Ovechkin through at Nosek, uh, open ice. I mean, maybe he left his feet a little bit, but for the most part, I thought that was a clean hit. You know, it was just kind of a physical game, and, and that's the way that Jurg wanted that line, you know, matched up against the Caps. So targeting, was he aiming for him, and all those sorts of things. I mean, like you said, it, it's got a negative connotation, but I think the reality in that situation was that was the shutdown line in that game. That was their job. That was their role. They were out there as much as they could be against that top line. That's that's just that was the game plan. So was he following around and go, yeah, because he was supposed to. Yeah. Um you know, I don't know that there's really anybody else on the, on that team if they were worried about that line and, and Wilson's physicality and and things like that. That's the line that you have to put out there to do that. I, nothing against no sick and carpenter and uh, and Lindbergh or, you know, I don't remember who was there at the time, maybe Carr, um, you know, playing off their run. But that's, you know, I don't think they could have physically matched up the way that that Reeves-Carrier-Delmar line did. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there was the first period where, you know, they kind of circled around and bumped into each other and Wilson fell down and Reeves was laughing at them and, and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, I mean, it's entertaining and fun and, and whatever, but, I mean, in some ways, you never like to see a guy get hurt. I want to preface this by saying that. You never want to see anybody get hurt. And I think that was the issue with signing the picture and all those sorts of things was that there's an injury from it. You don't want to profit off somebody's you know, injury, especially with, when it's a head injury and things like that. But at the same time, it's a rough and tumble game. It's still a physical game. It, you're still allowed to have contact and, and all those sorts of things. So from that standpoint, Ryan Reeves and that line did their job that game. Yeah, and I will, you know, what I will say about people that were, you know, very upset uh, about the hit. If you were, uh, or, or that weren't upset, excuse me, that were, um, you know, uh, the a lot of Golden Knights fans were very upset about Wilson's hit on Marshall so last year in the finals, and I know that was something that was still lingering around. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, if you were furious about that hit, and then went into the you know into the hit that Reeves had last week and said there's nothing wrong with that how can anybody be upset about that you you know you probably need to look at it more objectively like I, I get why like I think the Wilson hit was it was about the same as this one was it was to the shoulder it was late it was a penalty uh and there was a play that happened and, and people were mad that there was no suspension like that's kind of what what the Washington fans were feeling this time even though they are also very hypocritical in their views and that they like defend everything Wilson does and then wanted Reeves suspended. That's how fans see things. And I think that's that's how we have to uh kind of analyze those types of situations. And the final one on that uh was, as you mentioned, the signing of the photo. Ryan Reeves certainly apologized. I think it's you know, it, it's a it, it's a lesson learned from him. I don't think he was happy that he had to apologize and pull it down because I know he's very outspoken about political correctness and he doesn't like it. Uh, but he saw that he was going to have to do that based on the reaction that people had, 
And, you know, he said all the right things afterward. Yeah, and, and I don't know. I'll be honest. I don't know the entire um, circumstances surrounding it. I don't know if he signed it after the game. Uh, if that was the case, I would imagine he's got a little adrenaline flowing yeah. and he's probably, you know, pretty amped up still. And, and I, you know, I mean, look, I don't think he wants anybody to get hurt or anything like that. But I also think he felt like, you know, he did kind of what he had to do. And, and you know, like you said, if if Wilson was admiring his pass too long and, and it was a clean hit, well, then he's, he's probably going to feel pretty good after the game and then be pretty juiced up and, you know, somebody comes up to him with a photo and, and, you know, gets him riled up a little bit. Yeah, that was awesome and whatever. You know, again, I don't know the situation. But, you know, if it was if it was a scenario like that, I can understand, you know, kind of getting caught up in the moment, you know, finding it and being like, you know, yeah, dude, you know, all right, you know, thanks for being a fan, whatever it might be. Right. Um, but, yeah, obviously cooler heads prevail. I'm sure the team, you know, kind of stepped in a little bit, had a conversation with them, kind of said, look, you know, this is just not a good look. Um you know, and they, they did what they had to do, and it seems like the situation, at least as far as I've seen and noticed, I, maybe somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's blown over um, for the most part, you know, finally after a, a few days here. So, yep. you know, on we go. Like you said, lesson learned, and, you know, I'm sure next time uh, Ryan Reeves, you know, lands a good hit on Tom Wilson, he won't be, uh, he won't be signing pictures of it afterwards. He may. If there's no head injury, he probably will, actually. Uh, I think yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. All right. Well, for you, as we said, we are taping this on Tuesday, so uh, the four-game road trip starts tomorrow. Dave Shane will be there for all of it, so follow him and follow along at ReviewJournal.com for all of the information you need to know about the Golden Knights when you're not listening to us on the – I just got the updated numbers, Dave – fifth-rated podcast on the entire planet, the Golden Knights podcast. So good. Thank you guys all for listening and tuning in, and uh, follow us along during the week. We'll talk to you guys again very soon. Great job, Dave, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.